It's funny, I put my sermon series together months, months, months in advance. And matter of fact, this time I put my stuff together probably earlier than I've ever put them together. I remember sending Phil a message and I gave him the August series and the September series and the October series and the November series and the December series. I knew it was about to be my busy season with festival season and so I went away for the day and I was praying. I was out by the river and thinking about what God wanted me to preach. And um, Sometimes you don't know in advance what you're going to be teaching and how God knows it's perfect timing. The Great Chase, it was just kind of an idea I had. For those of you who know me that have been around, know that I really only have about seven different messages. I change those seven messages around. I change the points to them. I add different scripture to them, but I really only have about seven sermons, if we were to be honest. You guys amuse me. You guys um, encourage me. You guys act like I have more than seven messages when we put a different graphic up. I leave and you tell me, man, that was a great sermon. And I'm thinking to myself, you've heard that sermon 23 times. But I've never taught anything like this. And so I thought it was weird and I thought the topics were kind of odd, but I really liked the idea of it. And I got to be honest with you, I was inspired from a Bugs Bunny cartoon that someone had posted on on Facebook. And the guy had the carrot on the end of the fishing pole, and he was casting it out. And Bugs Bunny would chase the uh, carrot. What was his name? Yosemite Sam? Is that who always was trying to kill? Um, I know, Doug, old people know that. Is that Yosemite Sam? Yosemite Sam? Um, And every time that Bugs Bunny would get a little bit close to the carrot, Yosemite Sam would jerk it in. And um, as I was watching that, I was thinking, man, is that not a perfect explanation of life? We're all chasing that carrot. (laughs) The carrot's different for so many of us, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. We talked about the the first week that we're, uh, so many of us, especially now with social media, we're chasing fame. Even if we don't realize we're chasing fame, we're chasing fame. We're posting things to get likes. We're filtering our life away to impress people that most of the time we don't even know. And we're chasing fame. And then last week I talked about the fact that so many of us are chasing money. And we talked about money last week and we talked about how money's a tool and there's no, there's no evil in money. But the chase of money, the problem with chasing money is, is you never get enough. You think if I can just obtain a little bit more, I'll be good, and you obtain a little bit more, then you just need a little bit more. Today I want to talk to you about this subject, chasing perfection. Chasing perfection. I didn't know that three and a half months ago or ever how long ago was when I came up with these series, that really we could have changed the name of this series to the Gary Lamb Needs to Hear It series. If the sermons are for anybody else, they're for me. You'll just have to indulge me a little bit as I work on them throughout the week and get convicted throughout the week and examine my own life throughout the week and expose all the flaws in my own life throughout the week. I don't know who this message is going to speak to today, but here's what I know. We live in a day and time where so many of us are simply chasing something unattainable 
and it's called perfection. I had this incredibly unhealthy need to live up to the expectation of others. I had this need to live up to your expectations. I'm pretty blessed as a pastor, to be honest with you. Um, We have a pretty grace-filled church. We have good folks here, and I talk to other pastors on occasion and listen to all the BS that they put up with, and I don't really have to put up with that. But even at the end of the day, I find myself trying to live up to the expectations that you have of me. I find myself trying to live up to the unrealistic expectations that I place on myself. Are we not our hardest critic? (laughs) Everyone else can tell us we've done a good job, and what do we do? We focus on the one thing that went wrong. You know, The one thing that could have been different. And I just got to be honest with you. They say confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for the ego. Man, I find myself many times chasing perfection. (laughs) And then there's living up to God's expectations. And I think the God's expectations is an interesting thing because I think a lot of times what we classify as God's expectations are not God's expectations. (laughs) They're what the church is qualified as God's expectations. Because we've taken that relationship and we've turned it into a religion and religion is based on rules. If you were to be honest today, how many of you say, man, I I really struggle and I really suffer and and I really deal sometimes with thinking I have to be perfect? Be honest. We're inundated with it. Everywhere we go is the the need to be perfect. (laughs) And, And you know what I think is funny about that or maybe... A better word would be sad about that. Is many times the people who struggle the most with chasing perfection in their own life are the most grace-filled when it comes to the imperfection of others. They hold themselves to a different standard. They can show grace and forgiveness over and over and over to other people, but they can't do it to themselves. Your kids fall short, and what do you do? You love them anyway. Your friends fall short, what do you say? Don't worry about it. Nobody's. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Nobody's. Come on, white church, help me out today. Perfect. We're so quick to show grace to somebody, yet we're destroying our own lives, living by unrealistic expectations, and when we don't meet those expectations, we feel this deep sense of shame, of guilt, of unworthiness. And then to top it off, Let's just be honest. Scripture can be extremely intimidating when it comes to this subject. (laughs) If you were to read it at face value and not understand the context of some scripture, it can be intimidating. 
It can make you want to beat yourself up. For example, Matthew 5, 48 says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. Hell, no pressure there. (laughs) Never sin. Never have a bad thought. Never look at somebody critically. Don't lose your temper. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't eat too much. Don't cuss. Let's just be honest. The quest for perfection can be exhausting. It's exhausting. I find myself exhausted. You know how it is. So many women deal with this, especially moms. You battle this, man. If you're a working mom, you feel guilty because you're not a stay-at-home mom. You're a stay-at-home mom, you feel guilty because you feel you're not contributing financially. You feel guilty. If you're taking some time for yourself, you feel guilty that you should be giving to others. You're giving to others and you feel this pressure that, man, you're not healthy because you're not taking time for yourself. And then to make it worse, man, you're trying to do what you're, you, you feel you're supposed to do, man. You're keeping the family together and you're shopping and you're going to the grocery store and then you go to check out and spend the money. And there's magazines everywhere with flawless photoshopped women telling you that's what you should look like. Apparently Jerry finds that funny. Speaking of imperfections, Jerry. All of us, I'm not just picking on Jerry. It's hard dealing with the pursuit of perfection. I've lived this. I still live this. I battle this. Dealing with the expectations. Trying to live up to how I think God wants me to act and what God wants me to do versus what God wants me to do versus what people won't you? I mean, I always joke that, man, pastor, people have crazy expectations for pastors. I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but I saw this one time. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it said it was a church, and it was hiring for a pastor. And it said, once an older pastor full of biblical knowledge, but young enough to be full of zeal, a counselor, a physician, Know the Bible frontwards and backwards, pray 90 hours a week, and study 80 hours a week. And it just went down with all these unrealistic expectations that people have as a pastor. But the reality is, there's not a person here, whether you work for someone, even if it's corporate, if you were to list and print out your job description, chances are real good that your job description probably is just unrealistic. But yet we're told we have to do it, and if we don't do it, we're failing, so we're chasing perfection. If you battle with the pursuit of perfection in some areas, what happens is we begin to have a false image of what we should be. And it's easy to see this in our society in the physical Can anybody say Instagram? Man, we can put ourselves up on Instagram and they give us 30 different filters to choose from. And we can make sure it's just the right filter that gets rid of every blemish that we think we have. 
I was struggling. So everybody keeps asking me what this is right here. So last night we had a fight night here. It was fight night with art. And um, we had a light lady that that was set up in the middle. She live painted the entire fights. And they were sending her pictures of people in the crowd. And you see the guy in the cowboy hat over here. That's Rick. And um, that's our ring announcer up here. Anyway, they were sitting there and she was painting. And then I'm getting to look at the um, painting and saw the fat guy down here with the fat cheeks. And I realized he was doing this, which is what I always do in pictures. And then I remembered the lady's husband took a picture of me. And I remembered he was taking pictures of people and sending them to her to paint. And I thought, wow, the only fat person in the whole painting is me. And so for a minute, man, last night, I got to be honest with you, man, I felt some way about it. And for some way, I'm just being honest with you. I knew we couldn't move it last night. It was wet and it was big and it'll be gone by next week. But I was like, man, maybe I can put a speaker over there in that left corner. And then I convinced myself, no one's going to look at that and know it's me. Then I woke up this morning. Hold on, hold on. I woke up this morning. So what you don't know is Barry gets here very early before anybody else, 4.35 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know Barry's sleep pattern last night, so I didn't want to send him a text about it. Being here, I didn't know if he was asleep. I knew Kylie was playing drums, so I sent Kylie a text. said, hey, there's going to be this painting. I'd like to put your drums in front of it if there's room. Obviously, there was not room. But I wake up, and there's a picture of this, and it says, WTF is this from Barry. And what am I supposed to do with it? I said, oh, so I said, I'm trying to be cool. Back to Barry, I don't want to be irritated. Oh, it's a group text of me and Phil. I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. They painted this last night. We're just going to put the drums in front of it. Sounds good. Then a few minutes later, I get a close-up picture of the bottom left corner. Lots of laughing emojis. Is that supposed to be you? That's what I woke up to, about four hours sleep. And I thought to myself, man... Perfect time knowing what I'm preaching on. The pursuit of perfection, we want to filter everything. And so social media allows us to filter the external. But they haven't created anything yet that exposes us filtering the internal. And so we struggle and we battle. And we hold ourselves to this standard that we cannot meet. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't meet it. It's impossible. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. It's an impossible standard to live to. We obsess over it. It's ineffective. And what I've learned actually is the chase for perfection... can actually stop the pursuit of progress. I'm trying to progress, and we should all be trying to progress, and we should all be trying to grow, we should all be trying to mature, and we should all be trying to do better in our lives. But we can't grow at the pace in which God is allowing us to grow because we're trying to leap past those steps and have perfection. And it doesn't happen. I always have found it interesting that baseball, 
Guys can literally have 25 and $30 million a year contracts for making contact with a little white ball 30% of the time. 30% of the time. That's the standard. That means 70% of the time they are out. Yet here we are trying to chase perfection. I was thinking about perfection and the different kinds of perfections, and, and, and there's different kinds. There, there's the, the self-oriented perfectionist. These are the expectations you put on yourself. You hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself, and, and then here's what happens. No one else is putting them on you. You put them on yourself. Then you feel guilt and shame when you can't meet those. What happens to these type of people, believe it or not, is because we're afraid of failing, we tend to procrastinate. Because if we don't start, we can't fail. I don't mean to keep going back to it. My event last night was way outside the box for a normal event I had done. It was way different for something that had done fight. And I had this idea a long time ago, and I thought it was really cool, and it was cool. But man, I got to be honest with you, man, the week went on and I began to doubt the idea. And where I normally in here on Monday getting everything set up, I got to Tuesday and nothing was set up. And I got to Wednesday. Then it became Thursday and I went into panic mode. And finally Friday, last minute I got down here and Bubba and I got it all fixed and had to come back in Saturday morning and literally they're opening up the doors and we're putting out the last chairs. Why? Because I didn't know it was going to work, so I was procrastinating in doing it. You struggle with deep feelings of inadequacy, knowing that you're letting people down. It's that self-oriented perfectionist. I've got to live up to my own standards that I place on myself, even if my own standards are unrealistic. Self-oriented perfectionist. Then there's also the externally oriented perfectionist. This is those that are chasing perfection based on what others expect of you. You believe, though they don't, you believe others expect you to be perfect. Many times, people like this deal with that kind of pressure with... um, Making fun of themselves, self-depreciating humor. They'll mock themselves. Before you, before, not that you ever would, but in their mind, before you can tell them that, before they can tell you they didn't live up to your expectations, you didn't live up to their expectations, excuse me, you mock yourself in it. In your mind, you're taking the guard off of it. You might make fun of your work ethic. You make fun of your appearance. Whatever it is, I mean, It's a total defense mechanism. You feel very alone. People like this often feel depressed because they feel like they're not good enough for anyone else. You feel secretly almost desperate because in your mind, you know no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough and live up to the expectations others have of you. There's the others-oriented 
perfectionist. This is when you impose your expectations on somebody else. This is your idea of perfectionism, and you put it on somebody else. Parents are the king of this when it comes to kids' sports. <laughs> A lot of things you could preach about, but I do not preach about kids' sports. I watch it at the ball field every week. You expect other people to live up to your impossible standards. Your challenge in this area is you lack empathy. And because you lack empathy, you tear down others. Use abrasive, demeaning humor towards those who don't meet your standards. Some of you had parents like that. Some of you are parents like that. It's what it is. Now, I could go on and on. There's other areas, but those are the three big ones, I think. So if you recognize yourself in these areas, what I want to do today is talk to you about the spiritual side, perfectionism. So there's a lot of times we see the psychological side of perfectionism, and we can answer it, but there's also a spiritual side. See, the, the deal is, is so many times... Perfectionism is often us covering up for our deepest insecurities. Our perfectionism is us covering up for our deepest fears. If I can say it theologically, it's us covering up for our sinfulness. It's creating the illusion or the external standard that if I live up to this, then I'll be good enough for somebody. I'll be good enough for my own standard. I'll be good enough for your standard. And ultimately, because we have such a lack of understanding of the Bible, if I can live up to this standard, ultimately, I can live up to God's standard. And the church has fueled this. At its root, perfectionism, and I think it's very appropriate that I'm talking about being perfect and I'm struggling to say the word perfectionism. I feel like I butcher it every time. It's a very real spiritual problem. At its root, it's our sinfulness. Matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were perfect, I mean, think about this. God created heaven on earth. Created Adam, he created Eve. They got to run around naked, eat fruit, name animals. That's a good life. They lived free. We talk about, well, I want to live free. They lived free. The pressure was off until they disobeyed God. Don't miss this. God slapped me across the face with this this week. They disobeyed God. They sinned. They ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. And immediately, immediately, they felt insecure. Immediately, they felt flawed. What did they do? They created a covering for themselves with leaves to create the appearance that you don't have to see what I deem as my imperfections. <laughs> 
Like, I, like, I don't feel like this is appropriate. I, I'm working on some things. I feel like this is appropriate. As for a pastor saying, I'm working on it. Y'all ride me all the time about it. And in most churches right there, they would say, amen. They were perfect, free. The minute they sinned, they had to cover up their insecurities. Instead of amen, I, I just feel like, like, damn. Like that is, that's deep. Man, the minute sin came into the picture, their perfectness went away, and they begin what we do. They begin to cover up their imperfections. You know what's funny is you read later on, Moses did the same thing. When Moses went up to the mountain and experienced the presence of God, the face of God shone on him, the glory of God shone off of Moses. The Bible says, but then he put a veil over his face. I've heard preachers say, put a veil over his face because he was humble and he didn't want the, uh, the light, the, 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 the light to shine on other people. He wanted to remain humble. That's not true. As you read it, you'll see that the glory had begun to fade. And he covered up his face because he didn't want anyone to know the glory had faded from him. He, he didn't want anyone to know, man, I, I, I'm still not where I was at that moment. Let me cover it up and, and make you think the glory of God is still shining on me. The veil was a covering for his insecurity. It, it was a cover for what he thought other people demanded to see, and he wanted to cover it up. His fears took over. They, if, I, if they don't see the glory of God shining on me, they will no longer look at me as the leader. Let me cover that up. Let me make up a reason why I'm covering it up. So what do we do? Perfectionism at its root is a spiritual problem. And the only way you deal with spiritual problems is to allow God to deal with them. What I want to do today is I want to clearly show you from the book of Romans how you do it. I want to show you how we are made right with God, and we are not made right with God by our own perfection. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather than the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's, that's, he lays it out right there. Let me pause there. No one. I wish Gary would get deeper in the Bible, people. So let me tell you what that word no one means. It means no one. I don't need to break it down in the Hebrew for you, baby. It means no one. That means look to your right. Look to your left. Don't turn around because I don't know who's behind you, but look up here. No one. Sorry, you got to look up here. No one is declared righteous in God's sights by the works, by what they do. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what that means. It, it doesn't matter if you're a good person. Which again, that goes back to how rich is rich, how good is good. How good is good enough? Your standard of good and my standard of good might be different. 
doesn't matter if you're a good person, a great person, a bad person. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a priest, a holy person. It doesn't matter if you're a 17-year-old girl or you're an 80-year-old boy, man. No matter who you are, no one has ever been made right by doing what the law commands them to do. But I thought we're supposed to follow the law. No one is made right by doing what the law says. The law is there to simply show us how sinful we are. In our own fleshly sinfulness, the law is there to remind us that we can't live up to God's standard. And because we can't live up to God's standard, we needed a Savior who could. (laughs) All the fleshly sinfulness, all the stuff we want to do, The law just shows us that we're sinful. The law is the reminder that we need to that we need a God who sent his perfect son for us. It's funny, so many people. I'm a Christian. I follow the Ten Commandments. Like there's only ten things you should follow. You know? What's funny, let's say you're a Pharisee back in the day, a religious person back in this day. They had six hundred and thirteen laws to follow. 613 rules, they laugh at our 10 rules. But I recently had a guy tell me, I love God, I follow the big 10. Good. You know what he said, what he did when he told me that? He broke one of the big 10. He lied. Don't put anything ahead of God. X. Failed that one. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't got don't take God's name in vain. Try to work on that one. I'm not going to lie. David Westrick had his retirement party Thursday. Downtown Atlanta. I don't go to downtown Atlanta. I would only go to downtown Atlanta for David Westrick. I pulled the venue up. Saw that there was a parking garage there. Knew my truck would not fit in the parking garage. And I did what no man in his right mind would ever do. I told my wife she could drive. I don't know if you guys know what my wife drives, and I don't want to tell you what she drives because I don't really know what she drives. I would butcher it if I told you. It's very fast. It's very stupid. I feel very fat and old when I get into it. The few times she has taken my truck and I drive her car, I go to every red light and every teenager wants to race me. It's just that kind of car. It's a mean-looking car. It's a Challenger, but it's a certain kind of Challenger. I don't know. It's it's cool-looking. We drive to Atlanta. At the last minute, she decides she's in this lane, and there's a car here, but there's another car here. So somehow in her mind, if she sped all the way up within two millimeters of this bumper, 
she could fly over in front of this car and get off at the exit going 97 miles per hour. It worked. I took the Lord's name in vain. On the way home, she hits 575. I may or may not, and I understand this is TMI, and you don't want to know this about your pastor, but I was going to say, I said, I need to go to the restroom. I need you to get me home. About three times a week, you go down 575, and there's those curves, and someone's wrecked in those curves. I have a very large truck. In my truck, you have to slow down to take those curves. We approach those curves. She accelerates. I said, what are you doing? Taking these curves. You take these curves fast. This car's meant to take these curves fast. You said you got to go to the restroom. I'm getting you home. I grab onto that hand. I, listen, I'm only going to tell you this because there's no footage of it. I close my eyes. Close my eyes. And I can feel my head plastered against the seat as she is accelerating through. And I took the Lord's name in vain. So, my point being is those big ten are hard. Take the Lord's name in vain. I don't know why I felt the Lord's name in vain, GD. I feel like this is how I'm justifying it. It was my way of somewhat trying to talk to God while also being in the flesh and the flesh taking over. I feel like God knew. I I felt like I started in a spiritual sense. God, please help me. Don't let me die. But after God got out, the cuss word came out. My point being, the big ten are hard. I just named four of them. Can we quit before we go anywhere else? My point being is, no matter how hard we try, we can't live up to God's standard. The problem is no one wants to talk about this. Because if you talk about it today, someone's going to say, man, don't tell me I'm a bad person. We get defensive when it comes to our perfectionism. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying we're human. For all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you human. There's not a person in here today who doesn't have some type of issue. Our ten. Now, we like to look at other people's issues and say, man, they sin different than me. They're wrong, or they're right, and I'm wrong. Or they're wrong, and I'm right. Me telling you this isn't judging you. Just telling you the truth. Let me encourage you, because I like to be an encouraging pastor. We are screwed up. We are jacked up. We're bad, we're evil, we're sinners. All of you are. Oh, and me too. And you know the funny thing is, you've heard me say this before, people get, people get really mad when you talk about babies. Them cute little babies that go next door, they're just as sinful as we are. No one had to teach them how to lie. 
No one teaches them how to steal. No one teaches them that if they fake cry, they'll get whatever they want. Welcome to Action Church where we try to make you feel good about yourself. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the work they do. There's nothing you can do that will allow you to be righteous in the sight of God. Because it's not about what we do. Because if there was something we could do, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. Scripture says the heart's deceitful above all things. The heart's so whack that we can't even tell the truth about ourselves. Every single one of us here today have fallen short of God's standard. Every single one of us do not have the capacity in our sinfulness to live up to God's standards. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm not saying it to beat us up and saying we're just sinners and make you feel bad. But the reality is until you see see yourself as a sinner, you'll never see your need for a Savior. Man. It's amazing. I pray you hear it like you've heard it for the first time. Paul goes on to say, how are we made right by God? It's not by our works. (laughs) It's not by our religious efforts. It's not by eliminating bad stuff in our life. It's not by how much money you give to the church. Do I think we should be givers? Man, absolutely. It's not where you go to church. Do I think if you're a Christ follower, you ought to be in the house of God? I do. The Bible says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is important. This is family. But where you go to church, that's good news, Action Church. Where you go to church has nothing to do with being made righteous in the eyes of God. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? He's the sinless, perfect Son of God. He was perfect in every way. He was the one who hung out with sinners and loved the unrighteous and gave his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And we're made right by not what we do, but what he did when he hung on the cross for our sins. He paid the debt that we owed. You say, what debt did we owe? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And you want me to get deep? That word death does not mean a physical death. If you break it down in the original language, it means a death meaning separated from God. The Bible says the payment for our sin is death. The payment for our sin is to be separated from God. Why? Because unholy things cannot be in the presence of a holy thing. The wages of sin is death, but. Thank God for that but. You stop in the first part, that's discouraging. It's a payment for our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. You know the amazing thing about a gift, if you really want to get true in the sense, a gift is something that you can't buy yourself. Bought myself this gift. No, you didn't. You bought yourself something. A gift is something someone gave you, no strings attached. I mean, let's be honest. Talking about the Big Ten and lying, we lie to our kids every Christmas. If you're good, Santa will bring you gifts. 
That's not a gift, that's a wage. You're telling me to do something, and in order if I do something, I get something. A gift is something that's given to us, no strings attached. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do to receive that gift. Doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much darkness is in your life. It doesn't matter what others think of you. We're made right with God through Christ and Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus the church. Not Christ plus our good works. Not Christ plus helping the little old lady across the road. Now, you should help the little old lady across the road, but here's the deal. Helping the little lady across the road doesn't make you right with God. Christ plus nothing. The Bible says in Romans 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. We, we, are made right by who? By placing our faith in who? It's true for who? Who what? No matter? You know, we're good red-blooded rednecks here in North Georgia. I love that. Love that. Every time I talk about the Gospels for Anybody, we always go to, everybody's got to go to the extreme. Someone will grab me after the service. What about the child molester? What a horrible thing. No one should experience that ever. There's consequences for our actions, and every consequence they deal with on this side, the law is good. It says no matter who we are, that person gets right with God. But how do they get right with God? By putting their faith in Christ Jesus. I didn't figure anybody would amen that because it's hard to swallow. I get it. I don't like to say it. But that's grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Let me tell you something about grace. Grace sounds good. Grace Baptist Church. Grace Methodist Church. Grace Church. Church of Grace. Sounds great. There's nothing more messy than grace. (laughs) Grace means I love you in the muck and the mire. Grace means I love you no matter what. Grace means, man, it's messy, it's ugly, and I am there with you. I am accountable for you. See, we have, you've heard me, it's been a long time actually since I've heard, I've used this expression, this story actually. See, we got accountability all wrong. Accountability means I made a commitment to you and I'll tell you everything I do because I'm accountable to you. Okay. Okay. So I'm lying to myself, but I'm going to come be honest to you. Okay. There's a different kind of accountability, though. It's called fireman accountability. Has anybody ever heard of fireman accountability? Fireman accountability means I got you no matter what. When they send men into the fire, they send them in in twos. So if me and Joe Blow go into the fire, me and Bubba go into the fire together, boom. 
And Bubba makes a stupid decision that almost costs us our life. I am responsible for Bubba. I don't get to leave Bubba behind in the fire and say, you idiot! Have fun dying, I'm getting out of here! No, it's like, you idiot. Let's get out of this together. Now, when we get out of the fire, I'm going to chew them out. Doesn't mean we're not going to speak truth. You were reckless. You were dumb. You put our lives in danger. But I'm going to make sure he gets out. If it costs me my own life, I'm going to make sure he gets out. That's fireman accountability. You've got to trust the person you're going into the fire with. Grace is messy. Grace is ugly. Grace is dirty. People want to talk about grace. They want to talk about grace because we've made it a pretty word. Grace sucks in the human sense. Grace sucks when you're the one having to give it. Ah, but it's so beautiful when you're the one receiving it. Because You say, why does this matter? Here's, Here's why it matters. Because of what Jesus did, and you truly understand what Jesus did, the pressure's off. I'm free. I realize I no longer have to work my way into something. I no longer have to be guilted into living a certain way or chastised into living a certain way or yelled at to live a certain way. And here's what I've learned. Someone says, you can't give someone that was free. No, 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 no. When you realize what Christ did, you don't do things because you have to. Suddenly you do things because you want to. We don't want to talk about grace. It's messy. You don't have to be perfect to please Christ. You don't have to get it right to live up to his standard. It's a response to step into his grace. That's something I'd say amen about. I want to give you two thoughts today on this application. How do we deal with the subject of perfectionism? And I'm going to, They're going to be quick, and I'm going to be done, and I'm going to talk to you. And then I'm going to talk to you about something today that's going to shock some of you, and it's going to hurt some of you. And some of you are going to think, I did this sermon to butter you up today for that, but I didn't because I came up with this sermon four months ago. That's how God works in his perfection. Actually, I want to change this, this sermon a hundred times today because I didn't want you to think that. But I've got to know that God's timing is perfect. First thing we're going to do is we're going to choose people over perfection. We're going to choose people over perfection. Love God. Love people. Let me tell you the key to life. It's people. The Bible said it is not good for man to be alone, so he made a helpmate for him. It's not good for man to be alone. That's not just talking about a, a marital mate, though. That's the context that the application is. We're not made to do life alone. I had someone get in my face this week that I love very much, and then I, I, I went to them. They came to me, and they said, yeah, you've got issues. You don't have a lot of long-term friends. You've been trying to do life alone. Probably one of the reasons I get in all the messes I'm in. About people. Life is about people. Everybody is somebody's somebody. 
That person that pulls out in traffic in front of you and you're angry at them. And they got a wife somewhere praying for them, a mother somewhere praying for them, a kid depending on them. Everybody's somebody, somebody. When you begin to see people as people, it's game changing. Now, there's a great story in Luke chapter 10. There's two sisters. They're hosting a dinner party for Jesus. One was named Mary, one was named Martha. Many of you are like Martha. Martha was wigging out because everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. Jesus is here. Bring out the best chinaware, bring out this, do this, you know. Every detail's got to be perfect. I met Chad and Leah years ago. It's funny. I didn't do this story until recently. Someone gave me Leah's number. Leah's my accountant. So I guess I called Leah. I said, hey, I need to get my taxes looked at. So I guess Leah tells Chad, a pastor's coming over to bring his taxes. Apparently Chad goes into freakout mode. Pastor's just coming over here to the house. I don't know why I felt this way. I don't know why I wasn't coming to hang out. We got to get the... Got to get the house cleaned up. A pastor's coming. Well, apparently my redneck butt shows up in shorts and tattoos hanging out. And Chad's like, who's that? She's like, that's the pastor. You know, we get this weird mode when we think people of importance are coming by. Now, now they know me and trust me, they ain't cleaning their house when I come by. But that's what she's doing. Martha's freaking out. Everything's got a thing. And, and then Mary's over there and it, it looks like Mary's doing nothing. <laughs> Martha's getting mad at Mary. Mary's just enjoying the moment. She's enjoying that Jesus is there. She's enjoying that the company's there. She's loving on him. She doesn't care that everything's perfect, that there's a little dust on the, on the countertop and a little mess in the floor. She's enjoying the moment of being with Jesus. And, and Martha begins to get mad at Mary. But Martha's missing out on the moment. So many of us do that when we go out nowadays. It doesn't have to be perfect, but we, we miss the moments because we're too busy trying to capture the moment instead of living in the moment. I always wonder every 4th of July, like I pull in the parking lot now and everyone is videoing fireworks. And I'm thinking, listen, I love my phone and I like to be on my phone. But I ain't never been, let me go back and watch some fireworks. Do you really go back and watch them? but you missed the moment. You missed the people you were with. Martha's missing it all. And Mary's enjoying being in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus turns to Martha and chastises her. He said, my dear Martha, can you, can you feel it? My dear Martha. He said, you're worried and you're upset over all these details. You're worried about all this stuff and there's only one thing to be worried about. And he says, and Mary gets it. She's focused on me right now. You're missing out on the moment because you're trying to create perfection. Listen, life is about people. My dear Martha, why are you worried and upset over these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. He said, don't chastise her. We need to learn that life is about people. 
And when you're doing life with people, it doesn't matter if those people are perfect. I don't want any friends. I'm not going to deal with that. Man, people hurt me. Yeah, people hurt you. Let me encourage you today. If you have friends, you are going to be hurt by your friends. Oh, by the way, you're going to hurt them. About people. Everything in this life is about people. Doing life with other people. I went to David's retirement. I would say 95% of the people there were work-related. Obviously, it's a business retirement. His family, business people, me and Christine. Maybe a couple of neighbors. And they had a roast of David. But no one roasted him. They took a couple shots. It was funny. But I watched business associates, business partners, his own children, his neighbors, and his wife. That's pretty much the gamut. Get up and talk about him. None of them knew what the other one was going to say. And they all said the same thing. Who he was at work was who he was at home was who he was at church. So the good is he's always the same. The bad is if you don't like him, you're not going to like him anywhere. But it's about people. You don't think he's messed up in life? It's about people. It's not about perfection. If you're expecting perfection from other people, you're going to always be let down. Always. And the funny thing is, is those that always demand perfection seem to me by my standard, my, the Gary Lamb standard, which is to be the most imperfect. Isn't it funny the most messed up people are the most judgmental people? The people who need grace the most sometimes are the most lacking to give grace. We've already established there's nothing we can do. It's what he did. So if it's what he did, then it can't be about perfection. It's just got to be about people. So... Not only that, we're going to choose love over performance. We're going to choose love over performance. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He said, hey, so you love those who got it together and love you? Big freaking deal. That's easy. They're easy to love when they're doing everything you want them to do. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Now here's the last part that we started with. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What he's saying is just love people. When he says be perfect there, you've got to go back to the verses before. What he's saying is we're made perfect by loving people. People who don't look like us. People who don't believe like us. People who don't act like us. People who hurt us. 
People who've messed us over. People who've screwed us over. People who have hurt those that we love. It doesn't say we've got to like them. But it says we've got to love them. It says we've got to love them. The chase for imperfection is impossible. You will never obtain it. And you will race and race and chase and chase for the rest of your life. And it just isn't attainable. So you can keep chasing it. And every time you think you get close to it, they're going to jerk that carrot up. I can't even walk backwards. You know what I'm saying? Can't be perfect. Perfect. 